Anyway, we've been uh, in a series called, And He Shall Be Called. Now, this was a prophetic message that was given uh, between seven, scholars can't agree, but between seven and eight hundred years before Jesus was even born. There was a prophecy given in Isaiah chapter 9. It says, for unto us a child is born. Now it's talking about the darkness and devastation that the Israelites were living because of being decimated by their enemies. But it's saying, but... Unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. And so we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the wonderful counselor, the one who gives us wisdom and insight, the one who guides us and leads us by his spirit and directs us. We talked about the mighty God, the sovereign God who is in control of everything, even when it doesn't seem like it. The God that... You know, I say this scripture all the time, but his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. But he is in control. He is the mighty God. He can do all things. And the Bible says, fortunately, he does all things well, and he does all things for, for good, for those who love him. So today we're going to be talking about the next one, which is Everlasting Father. And then next week we're going to talk about the Prince of Peace. And then on the Christmas Eve service, we'll talk about Savior. But today we're talking about everlasting father or eternal father. Depends on uh, which version you use. But do you see something a little interesting here? It says, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And it says, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Wait, it's a child. It's a kid. So how does that work? Some people try to say, oh, this is, this is talking about the Trinity, but then there's four, so that kind of throws out the Trinity thing. This is not talking about the Trinity. This is not Trinitarian, and I'm not really going to get into it today, but this is talking about the characteristics of Jesus. In the Trinity, God the Father is God the Father. Jesus is Jesus, the Son and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. So this is not saying that Jesus is going to be the Father. Jesus is separate. You know, that's what Trinitarian theology means, is that it's three separate, it's, three, it's one God in three separate persons. So this is not talking about that. This is talking about the characteristics, that, that Jesus had the character traits of a everlasting father. And so today we're going to talk about some people in the genealogy because there's a lot of talk about genealogy these days with the 23 and me and you know all of these different um, trying to trace back your ancestry and, and your heritage and everything. And so we're going to talk about some people today that are really unlikely um, that most of us wouldn't probably include them in our genealogy. We wouldn't really want to acknowledge them. But just the grace of God and the kindness of our, of our loving God, that he would include some of these people <clears throat> in this. So he is called the eternal father or the everlasting father. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it says in John 1.14, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. So it's talking about Jesus, who is the word. Jesus is the word. 
He became a human being. He came in human form. God with us, Emmanuel, came to live with us. It says he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And Jesus himself said, of himself, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So he's saying, I and the Father are one. We have the same purpose and the same characteristics, the same traits, but they're manifested in different ways. Does that make sense? Yes? Okay, so the genealogy of Jesus, what I'm going to talk about today is I'm going to talk about the five women that are included in the genealogy. Typically, in the, in the Jewish genealogies, women were not ever acknowledged for the most part, only the fathers, only the men, but all of these women, with the exception of Mary, are non-Jews, which to me is just so astonishing. They're non-Jews, and, and we're going to be talking about kind of the, the, the fact that it's really unlikely that any of these people would be in the lineage of the Son of God, of the holy, righteous, perfect God. So there are, there are actually, in Luke 3, they have a genealogy. That one starts with Jesus. It says Jesus was known as the son of Joseph, and then it goes all the way through, all the way to Adam who was called the son of God. Adam was, was the son of God. Then in Matthew chapter one, it starts with Abraham. So, it, so the two genealogies are different in the Bible. Um, Abraham was the father of Isaac. And then it says in verse three, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Solomon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab, I'm sorry. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Let's pray. Lord, we are so... I'm so overwhelmed with your goodness and your faithfulness and your kindness, Lord. I just ask today, Lord, that you would really be ministering to our hearts. Lord, you'd really be speaking to us about your love and your faithfulness and your graciousness, Lord, and your acknowledgement. I just ask, God, that as, as your word goes forth, Lord, you would be changing hearts, changing minds, reviving people who are tired and drawing everyone closer to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I'm going to talk about four women, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. They're all Gentiles. I guess Goy is what they're called, right, Ira? Goy, non-Jews. Two of these women acted in prostitution. Two of them were widows. These women all experienced loss, betrayal, shame, abandonment, and ultimately redemption. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. All four of these women are honored and remembered in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To me, that, it just blows me away 
how God just does things so differently than we would. We would want to kind of clean it up and make it look really, oh no, he's really, you know, he's got this really pure line and everything, but yet, because of his grace, he uses these people that society cast aside or society would totally judge. So we're going to talk about Tamar. I'm going to tell a lot of stories today. So the story of Tamar There are actually three Tamars mentioned in the Bible. This particular one is the one that's found in Genesis chapter 38. Tamar, she she was married to this guy. His name was Ur. (laughs) Who'd name their kid Ur? (laughs) Ur. He looks like an Ur. So um, anyway, so she was married to this guy, and for whatever reason... God struck him dead because it said that he acted wickedly in the sight of the Lord. Some speculation has been made that um, it was because he didn't want to impregnate her because he didn't want to mess up. She was very, very beautiful. And so he didn't want to mess up her beauty. And nobody knows for sure what the reason was. But in the Jewish law, if your husband died and you were childless, you were to marry the, your brother-in-law. So, how many of you are so thankful that that is not the law today? <laughs> anyway, family of origin. But anyway, so, so she had to marry this other guy. His name was Onan. Anybody hear about Onan? Onan has a really bad reputation. Well, Onan didn't want to impregnate her because he didn't want... she. His older brother was Ur, so it's always the firstborn that has that special blessing. And he didn't want his, his child to be from Tamar. So he made precautions and guaranteed that she would not be impregnated. It doesn't say he didn't have relations with her, but I'm not going to go into it. Anyway, um, so anyway, that's the sin of Onan. And so she was supposed to marry the next one, Sheila, but Sheila was too young, so she didn't marry, or he didn't, he didn't marry her, and she kept waiting and waiting, and you know, her biological clock was ticking, and so she realized, you know what, this is not happening. I'm going to make this happen, and so what she did was she went down to the city gates, which is where the, the hookers used to hang out, and they always had to, you see, like here, they always had to have their faces covered, and so she went down there, and, and seduced her father-in-law because she knew he would be coming through there. So she seduced her own father-in-law. Get this. This is all in the Bible. I'm not making this up. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if it was a movie, it would be rated R. But um, so here she, she dresses up and then he promises to, you know, to give her this, the payment. And she says, hey, give me like, Kind of like, basically what she said was, give me your wallet. I mean, it was all of his identification. It was his, his staff, and they had like different things that you could give that would identify you as from a particular tribe or whatever. And so, but essentially it would be like today saying, just give me your wallet, and then, you know, when you come back, I'll give you your wallet back. When you come back with my payment. So, anyway, she because of that one time with her father-in-law, became pregnant. And everybody thought that she was just this loose woman, and it was very, very disgraceful. 
in those days, it was exceedingly disgraceful for a woman to become pregnant without being married. So here she gets pregnant, and everybody is so down on her, and her father-in-law, the one who impregnated her, says, this is terrible. Take her out and burn her. Check that out. So she says, these things, this wallet, essentially, belongs to the man who impregnated me. And he's like, what? So he realizes that he's been caught. So this is Tamar. She's in the, she's in the genealogy of Jesus. Not necessarily the type of character that you would associate with a perfect, holy, and pure, and righteous God. Right? So that's Tamar. So she ends up getting, she, she was actually pregnant, pregnant with twins. And so um, they were uh, Perez and Zerah, it says, whose mother was Tamar. Okay, so the next one is Bathsheba. Everybody knows Bathsheba. Now, it, she's called an adulteress. But really, when you think about it, David was the one who summoned her. He was the king of all of Israel. Her husband was off at war, and the king summoned her to to have sexual relations with her. So Bathsheba always gets this bad rap, like she's the the evil one, but really, that was wickedness from from David. And he's the one, he kind of, I mean, hashtag me too, right? It's like he kind of, you know, he kind of, got her in trouble. So she got pregnant and then he sets up this whole plot and then he has her husband Uriah killed in battle. So, I mean, again, not the kind of story that you share in Sunday school for the kids. Just for any of you who have little kids, just know that we don't share these stories that I know of. Um, So next is Ruth. Okay, so Ruth is a Moabite now, if you know the origin of the Moabites, they were incestuous. I mean, the Moabites were enemies of Israel. And she is actually also the great-grandmother of David. So Ruth, I don't know if you know this. Did I skip someone? I did. I skipped Rahab. Oh, can't skip Rahab. Sorry, back that up. Rahab, this is, she's found in Joshua 2 and 6. She was a Canaanite, also enemies of God. So, and she was also a liar, and she too was a hooker. She was a prostitute. So she had this inn, or this, you know, uh, kind of like a hostel or hotel or bed and breakfast. And um, it was in the city wall. And these two spies came in for, from Israel, and she, she housed them. But normally she you know, uh, did other business to make money on the side. And um, anyway, so she, as she found out that these guys were Israelites, she's like, I've heard of your God. And I'm sure it's because a lot of people probably came through and started telling stories about this great and awesome God. And so she's, you know, she's heard of him. And so she is actually even listed in Hebrews 11, in the list of that, you know, they call it the hallmark of faith or the, you know, the, 
the people who have great faith that are commended for their faith. But what she does is so she houses these spies. So then somehow the, the police, the local police find out about it and they come to her. She sends these spies out. So their camp is on this side of town. She goes, go that way. So then when the police get there, basically she says, she says, oh yeah, there were some guys here, but um, they're not here anymore. I think they went that way. So then the police go that way and she sends them the other way. And she begs them, she says, please let me and my family live. And they said, okay, we will let you and your family live if you, if you bring your whole family here and don't let anybody leave because if your family, anybody leaves, it's, it's their fault if they get killed. And, they, and so she puts this, it's a scarlet cord outside of her window. And that's, that's the way that they, her family escaped. And, you know, later on in the Bible, it talks about the story of Jericho and everything surrounding her family was destroyed, but her family was spared. But you think about it, it's like people always, this is the big question. Well, she lied. So doesn't God hate lying, right? It says in the Bible that God hates lies. He hates lying. But yet she lied. She was a prostitute. And she is in the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't this amazing to you guys? I mean, when I, when I read about these people, I'm just thinking, wow, there's hope. <laughs> there's hope for me, you know? Because I've known me a long time. I've known me most of my life. And, you know, I know I need a Savior. I don't know about you, but I know I'm beyond a shadow of a doubt. I know I need a savior. And when I see these people and I see that the Lord would use them, it's just so hopeful for me. I'm so excited about it. Okay, so now on to Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. So the the Moabites were an incestuous people. They were very evil. They were the enemies of God. And Ruth and her mother-in-law and her sister-in-law were all widowed at the same time. We don't know why, but all three of those men died. So she was a widow, and she chose to stay with her mother-in-law. And there's actually an entire book in the Bible written about her, Ruth. She's a great-grandmother of David. And what's significant about her is, first of all, that she's not Jewish, but also that she's a widow. And you know, the Bible has so much to say about widows, and it talks about widows and orphans. It says actually in James that true religion that honors God is caring for widows and orphans in distress. And what this symbolizes is those who are in need. And Ruth becomes the great-grandmother of David. So again, Matthew 1. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Skip ahead. Judah was a father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. So you see the family line. This is like, they could have all been at a family reunion together, I guess. Boaz, or or Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. You notice it doesn't say anything about David there. It says that she is the widow of Uriah. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. 
And Mary gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. Do you notice anything here? So this is the genealogy of Jesus, right? But if you remember the story of Mary, an angel came and visited her and said, first of all, don't be afraid, because angels are scary, apparently. Every time, every time they're mentioned in the Bible, people freak out. And so he tells her, don't be afraid. Listen, this is what's going to happen. You're, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you're going to conceive a child. And, and you're going to bear him, and, and his name is going to be called Jesus, because he's going to save people from their sins. This is the story of Mary. She's also in the genealogy, but check this out. She's not really related because the blood doesn't pass. Nor is Joseph. You see this? So this isn't really, this isn't really like the bloodline of Jesus because Jesus' blood was perfect and pure. And so, so when he impregnated Mary through the power of the Holy Spirit, there was no intermingling of the blood. Isn't this powerful? His blood is perfect. And essentially what this says to me is that this eternal dad, this loving, everlasting father has adopted all of us. We are all adopted. Mary was adopted. Joseph was adopted. None of us are, are in, the, in the bloodline except through the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. But that's how we become adopted. It says in Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Can you say to the person next to you, you are a child of God. And, you know, and again, we get, we get so used to this, you know? We're like, oh yeah, I'm a child of God. You know, we sing about it and think about this. That mighty God, the God of the universe, the God who created the galaxies, is our daddy, our Abba. Abba is like this term of endearment, like... It's like little kids say, Papa or Daddy. That's who he is to us. He is our forever daddy, our forever daddy. It says in Psalm 68, 5, it says, He is the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows, which means he is a God of compassion, a God who cares about people who are broken. I read the saddest statistic and I don't know if it's really true, but it, it stated, I think it was in Psychology Today, that only 20% of American households consist of a married couple with children. 20%. And you know, the whole, the whole epidemic, I call this message daddy issues. Because, you know, it's, it's so ubiquitous in our culture, that people struggle with daddy issues, either, either because of abandonment or abuse or neglect or whatever it is. We, we really wrestle with these abandonment issues, but this promise that our Messiah, our loving Jesus, is going to be like this, this 
dad who's totally committed to his kids, completely, 100% committed to his kids and absolutely loves his children. That Jesus is compared to a perfect, holy, righteous, loving dad. So um, some of the characteristics of a loving dad. Some of the roles and the responsibilities of a dad. The first one is a provider. Can you show the picture of my dad? That's my sweet dad. That's his happy place. He's on the lake fishing. That's his favorite thing in the world. He is such a sweet, sweet, sweet man. And um, I love him so much. But one of the things that that I've never really struggled with um, provision, with feeling like God's going to provide, I've always had a lot of faith that God will provide. Um, You can go back to that scripture. Philippians 4.19, it says that the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. God is a God is a good provider. He's a, he provides what we need. Um, and, you know, that was something my dad really modeled. He, he always wanted to make sure that he provided for not necessarily the emotional needs, but definitely the, the physical needs. And, um, you know, the other day, I, I've been having a rough time. I'll just keep it real. I, I've been having a really hard time um, just really grieving and feeling like I should be through it or I should be over it. And I know there's a lot of people that are grieving right now. A lot of people have lost loved ones. Um, and it's tough. I mean, it, it just, it's like there's this cloud and you can see it off in the distance and you know it's coming, but you don't know when it's going to hit. And that's kind of what's, what's been happening to me recently. So the other day, I was feeling sorry for myself. And um, <laughs> I was just praying to the Lord, crying out to the Lord. And um, all of a sudden, I just got hit with this perspective of, you know, there are people throughout the world. I hope this doesn't sound ridiculous. But it really gave me this perspective. There are people throughout the world who don't even know where their next meal is coming from, you know? And here I am feeling sorry for myself. And I just thought, you know what? God's promise is to provide for all of our needs, all of our needs, not just our wants and our desires, but really our needs and the need for him to to be near to the brokenhearted. You know, when we go through grief and we go through hard times or we go through hopelessness, his promise is to provide for all of our needs according to his riches in glory through Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father forever and ever. Amen. Another thing that dads do, that our dad does, our eternal daddy, is he's a comforter. Not like the kind you put on your bed. He's a com- he comforts us. Um, Isaiah 40, 11, it says, this is again a prophetic message speaking about Jesus, speaking about the Messiah. Do you guys understand what the Messiah was? The Israelites longed for a Messiah for centuries. And then there came a period of time of 400 years 
where they didn't even hear a single thing from God. 400 years. That's between Malachi, which is the last, or Malachi if you're Italian, the last book of the, the Old Testament until the New Testament comes along. 400 years, God was silent. But it says in Isaiah 40, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. Isn't this such a beautiful picture? of a tender, loving loving shepherd, a loving dad. It says he'll carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Um, on Friday, I went to the hospital uh, to be with a family. Their, their 13-year-old daughter was having back surgery. She has scoliosis. And um, it was so sweet because the dad was telling me that the night before he went to, to kiss her goodnight, And she said, Daddy, please don't leave me. Please stay here. And he said throughout the night she would wake up and she was so scared. And he was just there. He stayed by her bedside the whole night. And that to me was such a vivid picture of of how God is to us. How God is when we're afraid and broken and hurting. He is right there. It says, God is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help. He's ever-present. He's always right there in our time of need. It says, therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should quake and the mountains should go into the heart of the sea. We don't have to be afraid because we have this daddy right by our bed, just watching us sleep, comforting us when we're hurting and Psalm 103, 13 says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Another thing is, is God is our protector. He's our defender. You know, like the, the verse earlier where it says he's the defender of widows. I've relied on that verse so many times. You know, when I felt vulnerable or felt afraid or whatever, I've really gone back to that and I've just claimed that promise and said, God, you're the protector of widows. I know you are. I know that you're, you're, you're going to look out for me. Protector. So imagine the spiritual bullies that come to mess with us, that come to mess you up. You know, it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness, the dark world. Those are the things that are our enemies. That is what the Bible in the Old Testament, that the enemies of God are represented now for us who are in Christ as spiritual enemies, okay? They're like bullies. They come and nag you. Oh, you are, you're not good enough. Nobody even likes you. You're, you're terrible. You're never going to amount to anything. All of these lies, the flaming arrows of doubt that come at us, those are all from spiritual bullies, spiritual enemies and God is our protector and he says in Isaiah 41 don't be afraid don't be afraid I mean so many people wrestle with fear fear of the future fear of you know of losing something or fear of contracting a, an illness or fear of financial failure fear, fear of relationship failures and God is saying do not be afraid why? for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. This is the mighty God that we were talking about last week. He has the victory. He holds victory in store for those who are upright. He is there to protect us from our spiritual enemies and our bullies. He is there to speak truth to us, to speak words of affirmation and love. But when we just continue to go down that path of fear, that's where we get super messed up. Because fear is a terrible counselor. Fear is not a good place to go. (laughs) And I know that it's a really natural thing. But if you think about it, fear is the opposite of faith. Because you're saying, I'm losing control. I'm going to lose control. It's God's in control. That's all you need to know is he's in control. And he is our eternal daddy. He's our forever daddy. He cares about us. He's looking out for our needs. That's the thing we have to remember when, we, when we're being tempted to go down that path of worry or anxiety or fear is no, God is faithful. And I really, really honestly believe this. I'm not just saying this. I really do believe this. So another thing, another thing that the perfect eternal daddy does, he's our teacher, he's our instructor. Psalm 32, 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Uh, A couple of months ago, I was back in Santa Cruz at a conference and I stayed with a couple. Um, Their names were Peter and Anne Manchester. And I love testimonies. I love personal testimonies. You know, the ones that are really about how God changes someone's life. Those testimonies. And so I always ask people, so what's your story? Tell me your story. Well, Peter told me his story and it was unbelievable. It was the craziest story. And then I got a text from him the other night and I didn't recognize the number. And he said that he was featured in a podcast from this guy um, who used to be on the KPIX in San Francisco. He was the weatherman when, back when I lived there. And he, um, he has this podcast now called Another Chance. Brian Sussman is a Christian. And he um, has this, this podcast. And Peter was featured on that. So I listened to it again yesterday. And I was so blown away by the goodness of the Lord and the faithfulness of God. So here, here's a little bit of Peter's story. You can show the pictures of him. This is actually him in, in a, a wave. That, that's an actual photograph that someone took. Isn't that crazy? And that's him too. So Peter grew up right off of uh, Pleasure Point in Santa Cruz. The youngest of 12 kids. And um, his mom was a believer, but his dad was totally checked out. His dad had 12 kids and never acknowledged any of them. I mean, he provided for them, but he had no interaction with them. He was not emotionally attached to them in any way. He was just totally checked out. So Peter and his brothers, when he, starting at the age of four, he would go down and start to surf. He, this is back when surfing was, uh, was not like a, considered an actual sport. It was just kind of you know, for the kind of hippies back in the 80s and 90s. Peter started surfing when he was four, 
and he became an excellent surfer. He became an amazing surfer. But along with the surfing lifestyle is also the party lifestyle. And so he adopted that and ultimately, I think he, I think he started smoking weed when he was, I don't know, eight or something. He was, I can't remember, he was really young. But ultimately he ended up getting addicted to heroin. He used to, to um, hang out with this guy who was actually the keyboard player for Bruce Springsteen. Anybody remember Bruce Springsteen? <laughs> but Bruce Springsteen didn't want anybody on his band to be uh, partiers. But this one guy, he was, he was addicted to heroin. So Peter, he became kind of a father figure to Peter. Um, this guy was in his 30s and Peter was just a teenager. And so he ended up hanging out with this guy all the time. Well, Brian Sussman and his wife met Peter when he was probably like 17, and they kind of took him in. And throughout Peter's life, it was amazing to watch, like, like one of his brothers came to Christ, and then another one, and, and, they, and it was like God was totally drawing this guy, totally wooing this guy. And, and when you listen to Peter talk, he's like, he's like a legit surfer, so like he's totally gnarly, you know, like he, he uses the lingo and everything, but it's like, it's really who he is. He's not putting on any kind of a show. But one day he said that he was going down to surf and this guy came up to him and he's like, Hey dude, come to church with me. And Peter goes, the barrel's my church. The barrel is the, the tube in the wave. He said, the barrel's my church. So surfing was kind of like his God. And then obviously heroin in the midst of that, but Peter ended up coming to Christ and he had read the passages in uh, Romans 8 that say there's no, more con- no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus in that passage that I just read to you about being adopted. So Peter ended up coming to Christ, got filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, he relapsed a few times, but now he's, this, he's an amazing dad. He's the sweetest guy He's a total servant, and he and his wife have two amazing little boys. And I just think so many people in our society, so many of us, have that void, you know, have, have the dad who was either checked out or abandoned us either th- through leaving or through death or, you know, just was emotionally cut off or whatever, You know, and there's this huge void in our hearts. And I can tell you, the Lord can fill that void. The Father, the eternal Father can fill that void and bring great, great healing to your heart and to your brokenness. I mean, well, I'll get into this later, but um, another example of uh, what our father does, our forever daddy, is he's a servant. You know, he, it says that even though he was the king of the universe, he was a king of all kings, the lord of the armies, he humbled himself, became a little baby, and he came to this earth to serve. It says he came here to serve us. Is that crazy? He could have he come to earth and said, all right, everybody, serve me now. I'm the king but he humbled himself. And Jesus says in John 13, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. 
I have given you an example to follow. Do as I've done to you. Uh, Our dad sets the example for us. He serves us. And for those of you who are fathers, who still have kids at home, set that example for your kids. Set the example of serving, of laying down your life, laying down your rights. Let your kids see you serving them and serving their mom. You know? I mean, there's a lot of other roles that dads have. You know, they're, they're a cheerleader, encourager, you know, playmate, disciplinarian. But one of the things the Bible says about the discipline, it says don't, don't provoke your children to anger. It says don't, don't exasperate your kids. You know, if you're the disciplinarian in your home, don't exasperate your kids. You know, discipline them in the same way that the Lord disciplines us. So you have to learn his ways. You have to learn about him. Isaiah 54.10 says, The mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Today, uh, my desire, and I, I believe what the Lord's desire is, is for each and every one of us to open up to that love to that healing love, to that God who wants to comfort us and protect us and provide and to, and to pour out his love on us. Could you stand as we just pray to open ourselves up to the Lord? I mean, you know, a lot of times when I counsel people, one of the very first things that I'll do is I'll say, what was your relationship like with your dad? because you can learn so much about a person through their relationship with their father. And a lot of times, I will ask people to write a letter to their dad, to pour out their heart to their earthly father, and then also to receive the love of the perfect dad, the perfect father, the one who will never abuse, the one who will never abandon, the one who always provides and comforts and cares for Psalm 34:15 says the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. Right now the spirit of the Lord is here and he is attentive to your cry. He wants to heal you. He wants to bring you freedom. He wants to bring deliverance to you. So this morning what I'm going to ask is that first of all you would just open yourself up to that. And I know it's hard especially if your father was an angry, abusive, rageaholic. There's a lot, of, a lot of video that plays back, a lot of pain, but he wants to heal that. Or you've lost your dad. You know, I didn't realize just the impact that has on a person's life is losing their dad for whatever reason, whether he just walked out or whether he died or even if he's just emotionally checked out. The Lord wants us to open up to that healing, to let him come in and show us who he is. His ears are attentive to your cry. So can we just, can we just cry out just between you and the Lord right now and just ask him, 
to bring you that healing, to bring you that freedom. And if you had a godly, righteous dad, I want to say you're so blessed and you are so rare. It's, it's a very, very rare thing to hear somebody say, yeah, my dad was so godly. He really modeled the Lord. And so that's why in our society, there's so much brokenness. So can you just hold your hands out as I just pray and invite the Spirit of the Lord to come in? Oh, Father, we just thank you that you are such a loving, faithful, perfect God. Lord, we do open ourselves up right now to your healing Lord, we open ourselves up to you restoring those broken places in our hearts. Lord, even restoring our our, um, self-image for some of us, Lord, who didn't have dads who encouraged, who didn't have dads who were there, or dads who were abusive. Lord, we, we ask for your healing, Lord, that you would pour out your spirit of healing today. Pour your spirit over us, Lord, in the name of Jesus, Lord. Let us get free. Let us have a breakthrough, Lord, as we, as we go into our Christmas season, Lord. Let us forgive our fathers, Lord. Let us release them. God, forgiveness means giving up the right to hold anything against someone, Lord. We want to forgive. And we ask that you would supernaturally give us the ability to do that. Lord, and for those who are neglected, those who, are, who have that void, Lord, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit. Pour your Spirit into their hearts. For those who are missing their dad this Christmas season, Lord, who either they've lost their dad or they didn't even have a relationship with them, Lord, I, I pray that you would reveal yourself. Lord, pour out your grace. Pour out your love. Pour out your compassion. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are a perfect dad. Regardless of of how our earthly dad was, you are a perfect forever daddy. And so we just thank you that we can have a relationship with you because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, Lord, that you sent your one and only son. Lord, and if we believe in him, we won't perish, but we will have everlasting life. We will be reconciled to our maker. Oh God, we look so forward to that day, Lord, when we can see you face to face. But until then, Lord, we ask that you would just be near. Be near us, God. Fill us, Lord. Fill us with your presence. Fill us with your spirit. And we bless you and thank you in Jesus' name.